Uh, Luke chapter 17, this is one of those wonderful spots for me. I tend to preach in sermon series. I like it that way. It directs me kind of through big portions of scripture and big uh, ongoing unfolding ideas, and I like that. But uh, next week we have BGMC Sunday, and then I begin my Easter series. It's already, I know it doesn't feel like Easter today, but it's coming. So I got to just preach anything I wanted this morning. I got, I got the green light from the Holy Spirit to kind of go and preach the thing that had just been on my heart. And this section from Luke chapter 17 came. And so I'm believing that it's a special word, uh, a timely word for many people today. Maybe it's you. Maybe God has brought you to the house of the Lord today and wants to speak to you from his word this is one of those special, uh, unique moments, and I, I, hope, I hope that we will be sensitive enough to receive it as from him. Luke 17, we'll begin in verse 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, and I remember who the Pharisees were. They were the churchy people. <clears throat> if you and I were to find ourselves as Pentecostal, born-again, New Testament believers, if those of us who are all the way in, we... We read our Bible, we give our tithe, we, you know, we're all the way in on the whole thing, right? If you were going to look for your counterpart in Scripture, friends, just know it's the Pharisees. <laughs> uh, they were the ones who went to church, they were the ones who paid tithes even on their herb gardens, and yet Jesus had a lot to say to them, and he has a lot to say to us too. So don't, when we read this about the Pharisees' interaction with Jesus, please don't take this as, you know, those people. When you read this, please, please know this is us people. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And that is, a, that is a question which has been ringing for a long time. We want all the bad things to end and all the good things to persevere. When is the kingdom of God going to come? And we've been asking God that for a long time. And Jesus replied to them, the kingdom of God isn't ushered in with visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is among you. Later, he talked again about this with his disciples. The time is coming when you will long to share in the days of the Son of Man. That's how he referred to himself. That was his favorite name for himself, the Son of Man. Isn't it amazing that the Son of God referred to himself as the Son of Man, helping us in that, in that time and forevermore. There will be coming a time when you'll long for these days to be repeated, but you won't be able to repeat them, he said. Reports will reach you that the Son of Man has returned and that he's at this place or that. Don't believe such reports or go out or look. For when the Son of Man returns, you will know it beyond all doubt. It will be as evident as the lightning that flashes across the sky. Now you'd think that this was a, a salvation, you'd think that this was a message about the second coming of Jesus, but you'd be wrong. <clears throat> Verse 25. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, the world will be like, like it was when the people were in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the flood came to destroy them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning that Lot left Sodom, and then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the hour when the Son of Man returns. Verse 31, on that day, a person outside the house must not go back to the house to pack. A person in the field must not return to town. Verse 32, remember what happened to Lot's wife. And this is my sermon today. Remember. 
Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Whoever clings to this life will lose it. And whoever loses this life will save it. That night two people will be asleep in one bed and one will be taken away and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Lord, where will this happen? The disciples asked. And Jesus replied, just as the gathering of the vultures shows that there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Now turn back with me to Genesis, if you would. I just read all that out of the the New Living Translation. I kind of like that one for this one. Turn back to Genesis chapter 13. I want to go back and I want to reread the section of scripture that Jesus is preaching about. So this is pretty cool for me because Jesus preached a sermon referencing Genesis chapter 13 and Genesis chapter 19. And and you'll find out in the sermon, Ezekiel also preached from this scripture text. So you had the, the thing that happened and then Ezekiel preached a sermon about it in his day and Jesus preached a sermon about it in his day and now just like Ezekiel and Jesus, I'm preaching about it in my day. Now I would not put myself right next to Ezekiel and Jesus. This will be a second tier sermon compared to Ezekiel's and Jesus's but I'm the only one you got. If, Je- if Ezekiel was here, I'm sure he'd give it to you but you're stuck with me. But it is pretty cool to think, isn't it? That Jesus Christ as he walked the face of the earth preached out of these scripture texts to, his, to, to the people in his hearing. And we're still doing that today. Uh, look with me in Genesis chapter 13. It's the story of the separation of Abraham and Lot. <clears throat> Abraham and Lot were, were wealthy and, and they had grown and prospered. God had blessed them. But they were too tight together. Let's read that. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 13 and verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, with all that he had, and Lot with him, which Lot was his nephew, into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar in the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who was with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also dwelling in that land. And so Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. Isn't that nice? See people working it out. In a day when nobody works it out, everybody just hollers and shouts. they got to work it out. <clears throat> Verse 9, is, it, is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me? You take the left hand and I'll go to the right, or you take the right hand and I'll go to the left. In fact, even let him pick first. <clears throat> like when your kids want, they both want the same piece of candy, and you cut it in half, and you think that's going to solve it? No. You gotta, somebody's got to pick first, and whichever one picks first, the other one's going to think they got the bigger half, right? If you had a micrometer, it would not matter. That's just, how, that's just how we are. We all see it from our own angle. We all tend to be selfish. We all tend to be easily frustrated. So we've got to do our best. Look at verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Well, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And and so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners, 
against the Lord. Now, if you want to be known as being great, don't be known as a great sinner. If you're going to be great at something, don't be great at sinning. They were known as great sinners. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land you see. I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will be counted. It's a time of blessing. Yeah. So turn over to uh, chapter 19, if you would. Chapter 19. So time goes by, and God blesses Lot, and God blesses Abram. But Lot, having brought all of his uh, herds into that area, he, he builds his house, he builds his little tents. They were nomadic people. Uh, they were people of the earth. But they looked over at, at the big city, and the lights of the big city drew to them. And by the time, the time between Genesis chapter 13 and Genesis chapter 19, now no longer is Lot living with his people and his workers and his, and his flocks. No, now he leaves all of them out to do the work, and they move into the city for some big city living. And God looks down upon that place, and his heart is broken because those great sinners now have, have taken it too far for God to be patient anymore. <clears throat> But Abraham, he, he recognizes and he prays for Lot and he prays and strikes a deal with God and God sends ambassadors, angels, angels to go and, and tell him, hey, listen, you need to get out of there. Look at verse, chapter 19 and verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom, which is where people come and go. And if you're a person of business and you know, you're a social person, you sit there at the gate and there he is. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, no, we will, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly because <clears throat> he knew how wicked and evil these people were. And they turned aside to him and they entered his house and he made them a feast and baked them bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city and the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. We don't have to talk about all that. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they've come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and... He's become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot back into the house with them, shut the door, and they struck them with blindness. These men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-laws, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be joking. A warning had come, an angelic warning, a divine warning. And when Lot passed it along, they, they thought he was kidding. It sounded like kidding to them. Why would, I, why would I leave all this behind? Why would I go back out to the fields when in here I've got all of, 
all of these friends, I've got all these pleasures, I've got all of this. Why would I leave behind all of this? Just because you say so? They, They thought he was joking. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot. Now, that's the thing, isn't it, that Lot is still there in the morning. Got an angelic visitation, got a message from heaven that he knows is real. And yet even he didn't get up. But it's tough. It's tough leaving behind son-in-laws and those daughters that have, have imagined their lives in this place. It's tough to leave behind your friends. It's tough to leave behind all of that. It's tough to leave behind your pleasure-seeking, the, the hobbies that you've picked up that have become your favorite hobbies. It's tough to leave those behind. Up, they said, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be joking. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. He lingered. Now, we're going to read a little bit more in the New Testament about Lot's righteousness. So Lot is called a righteous man. Peter, writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, recognized that Lot was a righteous man. Even then... He lingers. That just shows you the power of the draw that was on him. The power of the the connections that he had that was tying him to something which was devastating and about to be destroyed. He lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. Now, isn't that the Lord's graciousness? And the Lord being merciful to him, they, they brought him out and set him outside the city. As they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also. How patient God is. I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Jesus is preaching to the disciples at at this point in Luke chapter 17 and verse 32. And they're talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to them, remember what happened to Lot's wife. Remember that. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Now, we don't know the woman's name. Nearly all we know about her is given to us in the 19th chapter of Genesis and these few verses in Luke chapter 17. We know that she was the wife of Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, we know that Abraham was a godly man. In Hebrews 11 and 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out. <clears throat> and Lot was a man of faith, and he followed. And Lot and his family, they divided up and they went to the cities of the plain where uh, there were some problems. There were some people problems there. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. That is, he, he, he 
started to live near a wicked place. He didn't go into the wicked place, not right away. He just looked down there and he said, you know, a lot of commerce comes through here. There's a lot of, a lot of fruits that I can't get unless I'm near a place like this. There's a lot of vegetables that I won't be able to get unless I'm near a place like this. There's, there's a lot of entertainments that I can't experience out, out in the fields, but in a city you can. And it said, Abraham moved his tent to the plain of Mamre there, and he built an altar to the Lord. That's what Genesis 13, 18 said. He moved his tent out into the Canaan land, and he built an altar to the Lord there. But it says of Lot that he, he was thinking about more worldly things. So I'd just like to take a second and ask you to think for a moment what that might mean to you in your life. <clears throat> Young ones, you guys are going to make a decision in your lives. You get to choose where you're going to live. Going to live near all the worldly pleasures, as near as you can get and still hope that you can be saved? Or are you going to go to the center of where God is and build an altar there? You get to choose. I hope you choose God. I write these um, birthday and anniversary cards. Jim, I'm sorry I got your card late. I signed it. I brought it over there. I forgot to bring it back. It's, on, it's in the mail. <clears throat> Isn't that what they all say? It's in the mail. Happy birthday, Jim. <clears throat> in those birthday cards, I, I write out these notes. I had a young man just starting out in life. And in his birthday card, I wrote, I hope you let Jesus be at the center of your life. And I mean that. I'm, it's not just a little pithy thing that you say. I mean it when I say it to him. Especially to these young ones, because in your life, Johnny, you're going to get to choose where you're going to live. You get, you get to choose. God's given you the choice, and you get to choose. Are you going to live at a place of God's blessing? Are you going to build an altar there unto the Lord and live for God? Or are you going to go nearby to where all the pleasure seeking is and see how that goes? Well, I can tell you how it goes. I can tell you from Genesis chapter 12 and 13 and 19, or I can tell you from the kids that I've watched grow up in this youth group and then when they become 20-year-olds and they feel like, I can do whatever I want, they get to choose. And God gives them the choice. And, and we got to give them the choice, don't we, Granny? we got to say, you kids, now it's, it's your time. You get to choose where you're going to live. But I hope you'll think about what this means to you. Because some choices seem simple, but in all choices we should consider whether or not that choice will bring us closer to God or be more distracted from God. That should be the filter through which decision making is made. In life, in choosing your college, in choosing your job, in choosing business, you, in choosing the people that we go into partnerships with, the question that we need to ask ourselves is do we believe this is going to bring us closer to God or is this going to distract us from God? So for me, as you can imagine, uh, being a people person and having talking gifts, <laughs> I'm a big talker if you hadn't noticed. People who are salespeople, they look at me and they see dollar signs. A guy who can talk like that. Oh, could we make money and make you? They tell me I, dozens and dozens of times in my ministry I have had, I've been approached by people who had, I'm sure, the most amazing things to sell, the most amazing pyramid schemes, I mean, partnership networks, <clears throat> and, they, and they, they, they'd see the, the, who I am, my gift mix, and they think to themselves, 
boy, this guy can make a lot of money, and I can make a lot of money if this guy makes a lot of money. And so they want me to, they want me to sell the stuff that they've got to sell. And, and multiple times through that process, as I prayed and asked the Lord, I have heard sternly from the Holy Spirit, Jonathan, I didn't call you to make a pile of money. I called you to preach the gospel. Don't get distracted. Now, for, I, there are lots of bivocational ministers who the churches they serve can't pay their, they can't take care of their families. And so those men and women of God, they, they work a job and they, and they work in the church. And in fact, some of those preachers, the money that they pay from their secular job keeps the doors open of the church. I've watched it happen. I'm in awe of these people. And I thank God that he provides for them through this way. But for me, I have felt time and time and time again that God constrained me from that and said, I don't need you distracted. I need you focused on the ministry that I've called you to. So for me, that's my conviction. That's what I have received for me from the Holy Spirit. And a big part of that is that you have to decide, am I going to do the things that keep me tight and obedient to God? Or am I going to do things that I find entertaining or that, that would enrich me or that... And I get a choice to make, and for me it was a stern choice. You can be obedient or disobedient. It wasn't just about money. It wasn't just about my hobby or how I spent my time. It was, are you going to be obedient to God or not? And so, friends, I just want to extend the same thing to you, that in your decision-making process, you get the privilege of deciding, am I going to choose the things that keep me close to God, or am I going to allow things that come between me? to be primary decision-making motivations. I hope you will choose the things that keep God at the center. Lot chose to live near the city, and consequently, Lot eventually moved his family into the city. So, we see in the stories that goes on that Lot's daughters make some bad choices. I mean, some pretty gross bad choices. If you've read the story, you know what I mean, and I'm sorry to even bring it up. I have to tell you that part of their decision-making process and all that was informed by their time living in Sodom. For they were in their parents' house, surely, but also they lived in that city with other girls and other boys, and, and, they, and they were influenced in their decision-making process. Friends, when we make decisions for God, it's not just us. It's our children and our grandchildren that will feel the effects. No man is an island. You do not live alone unto yourselves. We've got to choose the things of God. And if we don't, if we, what compromise is made in one generation, the following generations take further. Just know that. And I know that. It's a sobering thing to think about, isn't it? <clears throat> the little compromises that you make, but you're going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. I got Jesus in my heart. Our kids and grandkids. This this is an amazing picture of how flirting with sin leads to sin. Don't flirt with sin. In the midst of that sinful place, Lot moves his family all the way in, and they became more and more like those in the city until these, until these foreigners, <clears throat> until these ambassadors from heaven, they come and they drag them out. I mean, practically kicking and screaming. You can turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 with me if you want to. I'm going to read from that section, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. This is Peter's sermon 
on this. So now we got Ezekiel. I'll come back to him. He preached out of this, and Jesus preached out of this, and Peter preached out of this. So just know that this is one of those Old Testament things that should really resonate down through history. God did a big thing here, and he wants you to get the point of it. So much so that Ezekiel preached about it, and Jesus preached about it, and Peter preached about it, and Jonathan preaches about it. Just so you know. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been, not been sleeping. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. God knows how to keep those who are righteous. God knows how to punish those who are not righteous. And Peter is preaching about this, and he uses the illustration of Noah in the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah's fiery destruction. He preaches to them in their day, just like I'm preaching to you in our day. <clears throat> Choose wisely who you make friends with. Please. The old saying from grandmothers is, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Choose wisely who you make friends with. Please. Remember Lot's wife. It did not go well for her. She, she had a lot of things drawing her back to the old way. A lot of things that would draw her back. If you love this earth, it's hard to get free of it. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We, we tend to tell that to our children when they start the dating life, don't, don't we? <clears throat> don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We talk to them as if this scripture text was about dating and marriage, but it is not. Not really. I mean, it absolutely has an application in dating and marriage. I'm not telling you to go out and date worldly people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is not limited to dating relationships. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? Remember Lot's wife. They were righteous people who moved into an unrighteous place, who made unrighteous friends, and in the end, when God gave her a commandment, don't look back, she did. She had a lot of things holding her, holding her back with the old way. It's not worth it. It's absolutely not worth it. So, the, one of the things we know about her is that she was the wife of a righteous man, and certainly she herself had to have been a woman of righteousness. doesn't say that specifically. I'm going to infer it. that She was a good woman. It, it doesn't say, Lot was a righteous man, but he was married to a hag. It doesn't say that. Lot was a righteous man in spite of this woman that he married, that woman. He doesn't say that. I'm going to say as the two of them were one and as they had lived their lives and had made their decision, God had blessed them. This is a righteous woman. That's what I'm going to infer from, the, from what I read here. 
And yet that righteous woman got herself so intertangled and entwined with the world that she couldn't obey God. I just encourage you not to entertain yourself, not to entangle yourself with fleshly stuff to where when God says no, you linger anyway. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. See, the scripture text really is about the second coming of Christ, originally. They said, when is, when is, when are you gonna, when is all this going to be wrapped up? And really, it does say that he will come like a thief in the night. Now, we don't have to be lied to and told that he's going to come back again. We have other religious groups who said that he came back again in North America and, and, and visited the tribes. We do not accept that as being reality. The Bible says it right there. Don't believe them when they tell you that I come back on earth. In Africa, there is a cult, a Christian cult, that says that Jesus himself showed up in West Africa, in Senegal, and they have a, a mixture between two or three different wonky religions which really don't do service to any of them. But what they are told by their preachers is that Jesus showed up in Senegal in this modern era and started this church. Well, the scripture tells us right there, don't believe that. When I come back, everybody's going to know. You won't have to ask yourself, was that him? Did he really? It'll be like a lightning bolt across the sky. Everybody in the whole place is going to see and know that I have come back. You can be comforted by that. But in the meanwhile, until he comes back, and listen, we need to be ready because he, I believe he can come back at any time. Any time. Don't think, oh, I've got time. You've got the time to get right now. You better take it. I don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. That's what Scripture told us, and we need to be ready. And in the meanwhile, until he comes, we have to decide how are we going to live. How are we going to live? This woman, it seems she must have been a righteous woman, or at least I will decide that she was. How is it that she became so entertained, intertwined, entangled? How can it be? Well, look at, I mean, Luke 17, 28 and 29, it said, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. At the same time, Lot went out of Sodom, and then it rained fire and brimstone. Everything was just going along, and everybody said, well, it's going to be tomorrow like it is yesterday. And she liked the feasting, the eating, the drinking, the buying, the selling, the building. It sure, this righteous woman it does appear from the end that she she ended up falling in love with the world that she lived in she didn't just live in that city she had adopted the way of the city into her heart or she could have walked away from it when god told her to so in sodom we think of sexual perversion that's where most of the preaching that you've heard about sodom comes from from that angle but that is that is not the angle Ezekiel preached from I'll read it for you if you want to turn there you have to be quick but Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 48 through 50 I'll read it for you out of the New Living Translation Ezekiel preaches a sermon from this same scripture text and Ezekiel under the anointing of the spirit says what the sins of that city was and he didn't even mention sexual perversion Ezekiel chapter 16 48 through 50 Ezekiel says this to his people the children of Israel who are in bondage as surely as I live says the sovereign Lord Sodom and her daughters were never as wicked as you and your daughters Sodom's sins were pride laziness and gluttony Pride, laziness, and gluttony. 
While the poor and the needy suffered outside her door, she was proud and did loathsome things, so I wiped her out, as you've seen. That's what Ezekiel preached to his people. He said, listen, the people of Sodom were not even as bad as you are, and God destroyed them. And he says that their sins were pride, laziness, and gluttony. And that's the thing is, the, they were able to be lazy because the city living was easier than the country living. And they were able to be prideful because the city living was a higher standard than the country living. And they were able to be gluttonous because they had so much good stuff instead of, Instead of looking after people who were without, they ate up the extra because they could. Pride, laziness, and gluttony. And the big city living enabled them to go to those sins. Pridefulness, laziness, and gluttony. When God had bigger plans for them, he had more for them. So the Ezekiel, when he preached this sermon, he said, don't be like them. Don't be prideful. Don't be lazy. Don't be gluttonous. Make a little food and take it down to the homeless. You know, we're all going to get to choose what we're going to do on Saturday. I won't be able to be there. I've got training for the prison ministry. So when you see I'm not there, nobody, nobody start quoting Ezekiel chapter 16, all right? Oh, that preacher. <clears throat> I've, got to, I've got to go and do the uh, training for prison ministry that's coming up at the end of March. So I won't be able to be there. But isn't it something to think that we here in Northwest Arkansas who have so much could take them a morning of our time and make us a dish of corn and load up and go down, there's going to be 100 to 125 homeless, food-insecure people. They're not here in Bella Vista. We don't allow for it up here. If they find a homeless person, the police officers tell them, you want to go north or south? That's it. That's the only accommodation made for homelessness in Bella Vista. It's a nice, safe, peaceful place to live, isn't it? But but we don't, we don't make any room for homelessness here, period. But in Fayetteville, there's, there's some accommodation of it, which has its own challenges, which if you make room for it, then, there, it, then there, it causes problems. Problems that lazy, prideful, gluttonous people don't really want to have to deal with. But here we are, and we get to choose how we're going to spend our time. Tonight, we're going to come back, and we're going to put together snack packs for the schools to use for food insecure children. I'd like to think that that would help insulate us a little bit from Sodom's sins. That we, in a little bit of our generosity, and a little the giving that you gave in the offering today bought all the stuff that's going to go in those bags. Somebody had to buy it, and somebody has to put it together, and we're going to be those people for those kids. I like that feeling. And we're going to do that as well for the homeless. Somebody else feeds them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we only take the fifth Saturday, four or five times a year, we go down and are a part of that. But it's still something neat. But we get to choose how we're going to use our time. But it's not only in snack packs through the church, and it's not only through the homeless feeding of the church. And I'm glad we have those two outreaches this week that are available to you to participate in if you want to. I'm glad for those things, but friends, it's not really about just what the church is doing. You are the church. We are the church. How are we living our lives? Are we living our lives as prideful, lazy, gluttonous people? Or are we living our lives as the people of God? You get to choose, and I hope you'll choose to be God's people. That's what the whole sermon today is. Ezekiel said, said that they were lazy and they were prideful and they were gluttonous. And remember, one of the things we know about Lot's wife, we don't know much, but one of the things we know is this. She loved that. The thing that made her feel proud. The thing that made her feel secure. The thing that made her feel full. 
She liked that. And, and maybe we can understand that. Maybe, maybe as you've read Scripture through the years, you've looked down on Lot's wife. But friends, I hope, I hope in this sermon you'll hear what I'm saying. I don't look down on Lot's wife. I take her life as a warning to me. To me. They were arrogant. They were gluttonous. They were unconcerned. So I have to ask myself, how am I living? Am I arrogant? Am I gluttonous? Am I unconcerned? so it makes me sad when I see other people filled with pride it makes me ashamed when I feel that I am filled with pride it makes me sad when I see others who are unconcerned it makes me ashamed when I feel unconcerned it makes me sad when I see gluttonous people not just gluttony in food but gluttony in life the consumption of, of life But boy, when I see it in me, I really don't like it. And maybe you all are better than I am. Maybe I'm I'm the bad guy. But I sure do see it there. When I look, that's why I don't look very often, only when the Holy Spirit really makes me. It's not a great look. It's not fun. Boy, remember Lot's wife. You can't go to heaven with one foot in hell. Just remember that, okay? There's a lot of people that think that they can put one foot in heaven and one foot in hell, and then right at the end, before the end comes, they'll pull that one foot out of hell and say, ha, ah, look how smart I was. I had everything, and now here at the end, poof, I got that foot out of hell the second before the gates shut. Don't flirt with it, please. You get to choose. I hope you, I hope you choose to be close to God, away, away from all that mess. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, whoever was, is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. That's what James 4, 4 says. And also James 4, 7 in that same section of scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You do not have to flirt with all that mess. You don't have to. You can be free of it. And when you are, man, it's a better life. It's a better way. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. I learned how to sing that song in Cherokee Indian when I was in kindergarten. One of my kindergarten teachers was a Cherokee woman who accepted Jesus Christ, and so she taught us how to sing that song in many different languages, including Cherokee Indian. And I remember singing that and thinking, how amazing. But it's tough. I was amazed that she could have been brought up one way and found a whole new way. It's not easy to leave behind the way that your mom told you was right. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to be free of a thing that you were brought up in. 
whether you're talking about religion or sin or worldliness, it's not easy to be free of that thing. But my kindergarten teacher, she, she was. She had chosen Jesus with all of her life. And she was free. She wasn't going back. Wow. In the New Testament, Felix was talking to Paul, Acts chapter 24 and verse 25, and and he dismissed him. And and Felix said to Paul, when I find it convenient, I will call for you. But Scripture never tells us that that he called for him. Felix said to Paul, Paul was there and was talking about truth and Jesus. And Felix said, when I find it convenient, I will call for you. But Scripture never tells us he did. I hope he did. I hope he called for Paul and it just didn't make it into the canon. I would think somehow it would have. It occurs to me that Felix probably never found it convenient again to talk with Paul about the matters of truth and eternity. It's a joy for me to preach this sermon to you today. It really is. It's kind of awesome to think about God doing this big thing thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago and then using the preacher Ezekiel to preach to his people in his day and then use Jesus to preach to his people in his day and then use Peter to use to, from this same section of Scripture to preach it to his people in his day. And now here I am at the end of February in leap year week of 2020, can, I, they could never have even imagined 2020 being here. But here we are, and I get to preach it to you today. And so I'm going to preach to you the same sermon that has been preached, and it is this. I hope that you'll choose Jesus and let the other go. And, and the more that you, the more of those strands of this flesh and this life that you clip off of you, the less tied down you are to that stuff. And there's different ways to do it. Some of it is time and hobbies. Some of it is money. Some of it is dreams. Whatever things you've got to clip off of you so that you are less entangled with this old way, I just encourage you deeply. I want to passionately plead with you today to turn loose of that stuff because Jesus is coming, and when he comes, you don't want to be playing that game of one foot in heaven, one foot in hell, trying to time it out. I just encourage you, choose Jesus. His way's better. The life in him is better. Way better. Not a little better, way better. It's way better in this life and for eternity. Why are we flirting with all that mess? Whatever it is that is drawing back on you, and even as I'm preaching, maybe the Holy Spirit has that conviction for you that he certainly does with me. You know what it is that is holding you back to the other thing. Whatever it is, if it's pleasures, if it's worldliness, if it's selfishness, if it's pride, if it's gluttony, if it's uh, your unconcernedness, whatever that is that is connecting you to the old way, I just encourage you through faith in Jesus Christ to repent of that thing and just clip it off of you. That tie that would bind you back to that old way, clip it off. Remember Lot's wife. She having been freed from sin, she having been freed from Sodom and Gomorrah, she having been freed from judgment and warned not to look back, seemingly couldn't help herself. Remember her. Don't forget her. We've been preaching about Lot's wife for a long time. Take the lesson of Lot's wife. Once you're free, be free indeed. It's a better way, a better life. 
So is this a sermon about the second coming of Jesus? Yes, be ready for it. If this, is this a sermon about salvation? Yes, I hope you'll choose salvation. Is this a sermon about doing good works? Yes, it is. It's in, in that it is all those sermons, it's probably not a very good single sermon. And yet, it's all in there, isn't it? If we're going to live our lives, I hope, that you'll, I hope that you'll live your life by that little song, that sweet little song that we sang. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I read in an interesting place a man that tried to explain away her transformation to a pillar of salt. <clears throat> he said, you know, she, having turned back, probably was delayed, and, and they all got free, but that sulfur and brimstone, she, like the ashes of Pompeii, when that, when that uh, encapsulated people and, and transformed their bodies into other chemicals, and th- that's what it was like, the sulfur and the brimstone, she got caught up in the... In the in the cloud of all that, and she was transformed into salt, trying to explain away the tragic miracle of it. And I thought to myself, how is it you can accept sulfur and brimstone falling down from heaven, but you can't accept her, her body wilting away? So I don't know if you want to think of it as a more natural thing or if you want to think of it as a more spiritual thing, but I, I can promise you this. Jesus preached on it, Peter preached on it, Ezekiel preached on it, now Jonathan's preached on it. Remember Lot's wife. Free yourself from the encumbrances of the past. Turn your eyes, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him did endure the cross, despising the shame. Fix your eyes upon him so that you can run your race with endurance. That's what, that's what Hebrews chapter 13 says. Run your race with endurance, breaking off those chains which so easily beset us. Don't let the stuff of this life, the stuff of this flesh, the stuff of the past, don't let it gather around you so that it weighs you down and keeps you from following Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, and then those chains that can so easily beset us will have no power on you. You do not have to be bound up in those chains. God will help you. God will help you if you'll let him. Stand with me together if you would, and we'll conclude. Oh, Lord Jesus.